Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would be with us. Lord, grant us ears that we might hear you speaking to us. Grant us eyes that we may see better. Grant us hearts and lives that are willing to be changed as we strive to become more like your Son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name we pray all these things. Amen. Uh, the story is told. Uh, Dr. Albert Schweitzer was 85 years old when I visited his jungle hospital at Lamborghini on the banks of the Ogawi River. You can imagine the deep and profound effect of that three-day visit, which included opportunity for some leisurely conversation with this great humanitarian, theologian, musician, and physician. But one event stands out in a special way. It was about 11 in the morning, the equatorial sun was beating down mercilessly, and we were walking up a hill with Dr. Schweitzer. Suddenly, he left us and strode across the slope of the hill to a place where an African woman was struggling upward with a huge armload of wood for the cook fires. I watched with both admiration and concern as the 85-year-old man took the entire load of wood and carried it up the hill for the relieved woman. When we all reached the top of the hill, one of the members of our group asked Dr. Schweitzer why he did things like that, implying that in that, that heat and at his age, he shouldn't. Albert Schweitzer looked right at all of us and pointed to the woman and said, no one should ever have to carry a burden like that alone. No one should ever have to carry a burden like that alone. And of course, he's right. But the part of the story that gets me is how he actually did something about it. He goes towards this woman. He reaches out to help. You see, I'm struck by stories like this when people reach out with compassion because too often that isn't my own default. Maybe I'll see that the woman needs help. Maybe I'll hope that someone helps the poor woman. Maybe I'll even think that I could help her. But too rarely am I the one who actually goes, who actually helps, who actually leads with that kind of compassion. I wonder what that would look like. How might our lives be different if compassion was our default, if we led with compassion first? That's a little bit where we're going today. Because as we'll see, that seems to be how Jesus goes. But I'm getting ahead of myself. First, let me remind you where we are and where we're going. Uh, in our current series, we are trying to understand what does it mean for us to be disciples. And we began by recognizing that innately, disciples are working to become more like their teachers, more like their rabbis which is why disciples spend so much time with them, so that they can learn what they knew, so that they can do what they did, so that they can feel what they feel, so that they can emulate their rabbis better. And of course, this is also what we see in Jesus' disciples. They listen and learn from Him. 
They practice what they see him doing. They work to get to know him better so that they can become more like him. In the same way as modern disciples, we listen and learn from Jesus, practice and pray to Jesus, and we work and worship all in order so that we can become more like Jesus. But of course, for that to happen, we have to be both willing and we have to actually spend enough time with Him that that it kind of rubs off on us, that we can get to know the kinds of things He would do and then do them, and the kinds of things He would say so that we can then say them, and the kinds of responses He has so that we might respond in a similar fashion. And so we follow Him so that we can become more like Him. Because you see, the goal of the faith isn't to be Christian or act Christian or even make more Christians. The goal is that we are being changed, becoming more like Jesus, acting more like Jesus, and even helping others become more like Him as well. And what we call this goal and process and mission and lifestyle is discipleship. This is how we get transformed. It's how we are transformed. It's Jesus working in us, transforming us, and making us more like Him. And so if you would, I would invite and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 1. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 1. While you're turning there, I will remind you that if you remember the Gospel of Matthew, this picks up right after His famous Sermon on the Mount chapter 5, 6, and 7. You should read that. It's fantastic. He does a really good job there. Um, But this is right after that. And so Jesus has gone up the mountainside with His disciples, and He said things like, blessed are the merciful. And He said, you are the light of the world. And He said, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And He said, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And then He finishes His sermon... And our passage today begins coming down the mountain. It's that mountain. It's the Sermon on the Mount mountain. He'll be on his way down. Let's see what happens. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out His hand and touched the man. I am willing, He said, be clean. Immediately, He was cleansed of His leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourselves to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to Him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. (coughs) I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Amen. It's kind of an odd ending there, right? Jesus, can we follow you? And Jesus essentially says, no. But we'll come back to that in a moment. Because remember, we are working to become more like our rabbi. And so I want us to be looking back at our passage to try and figure out who is this Jesus? What is he like? What does he do? Because this should then inform and instruct us in who we are to be becoming. And therefore, I want us to work back through our passage as we look at how Jesus just seems to exude a posture of compassion. And we'll see that as we see him touching the untouchable, talking to the unliked, and treating the unwell. And he does it despite all of the potential forms of problems and trouble that these represent for him. Touching a leper would make you unclean, not to mention possibly diseased. Interacting with a centurion could bring some bad consequences, and don't get me started on mother-in-laws. And yet, Jesus' default is compassion. And as we think about this, it's probably worth asking the question, who are the untouchables in our lives? Who are the unliked? Who are the unwell? But again, we'll get there too. Uh, turning back to the beginning of our passage, we find Jesus coming back down the mountain, uh, and there's a whole crowd following him. And a man with leprosy places himself in front of Jesus, kneels before him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. A couple things to note there. First, leprosy is a terrible disease, but when the Bible talks about it, it may not always be the leprosy, the thing that we call leprosy. It may just be a various skin disease. Uh, it's unclear all the time that they knew what we know about different kinds of diseases, but this is a serious skin disease of some kind or other. What's more, as you can imagine, with their lack of science and medicine, let alone understanding a disease like this would have run rampant through a close-knit community like this. And so even in the Old Testament, God sets up some specific rules and boundaries to keep the people and the community safe. Of course, this had the side effect then of making things sometimes worse for those who were suffering. 
And so if you had a skin disease or leprosy, you had to go around with disheveled hair and clothes. You had to cover the lower part of your face when people were near. And you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, in order to keep others distant, to keep others safe. And thus you were totally ostracized from everyone. I wonder if you have ever felt ostracized or unwanted or untouchable. But this man comes before Jesus, he kneels before him, and this is an act of not just need, but one of submission, one of surrender, one of worship. This man recognizes that Jesus has the power and the authority to change things, and so he places himself at the mercy of Jesus. And you'll notice that even his ask is one of faithful humility. He believes that Jesus can heal him, and therefore it's simply up to Jesus if he will. But there seems to be a profound trust that Jesus will do what's right and best and good, which may not necessarily be what the man even wants. But he leaves it in the hands of Jesus. I can't help but reflect on how this image should probably inform how we approach prayer. Kneeling before Jesus, recognizing His power and His goodness, and then placing ourselves fully at His mercy to do what He deems good, not necessarily what we always want. But it's here that we see Jesus do the strangest and most unlikely of responses because He reaches out and he touches the man. This man is, by definition, untouchable. He is quite probably contagious. He is quite probably gross. He quite probably has not been touched in a very long time. And Jesus reaches toward the man and touches him. It's worth noting that Jesus could have healed him without touching him. That's an option for Jesus. And we know that because we see that in the next story. He heals the man's servant who's, in, who's somewhere far away. It is as, as, you, as you said, it's done. So Jesus didn't have to reach out and touch this man, and yet he does because maybe he's trying to heal a hurt that went more than just skin deep. And his final instructions are to go to the priest and offer the gift as it says in the law. This is the first encounter in this story, but I want us to notice Jesus' posture of compassion as He reaches out and touches the untouchable. That is His default. That is where Jesus starts. That is who Jesus is. And maybe that's our calling too. But let's keep going. Jesus enters back into town. Uh, and a centurion comes to him asking for help for his servant. Again, background is important here. A centurion was a military leader in charge of a hundred foot soldiers. Most likely the person was Syrian or Roman, either way, not Jewish, thus a Gentile, and therefore not exactly one of our favorite people. Uh, of course, as a representative of Roman might or maybe Roman oppression, uh, again, not exactly someone on our side either. Because remember, we don't like the Romans because the Romans aren't crazy about us either. So this person was unclean, unsafe, unliked, not to mention he kind of represents the other side. And, and not subtly either. We assume someone of this status and stature was, 
wearing their authority quite literally on their sleeve in the form of a, a uniform. So what's this Roman centurion doing coming alongside this Jewish rabbi? This sounds like it could be trouble. After the centurion asks for help, Jesus asks if the man wants Jesus to come to his house and heal the servant. And again, just to remind you, to go into the house of a Gentile would then make Jesus ceremonially unclean. But this is Jesus' first offer to the officer. He moves towards even this oppressor, even if there will be a cost. The centurion, again, similar to the leper, with great deference and humility, explains that the centurion is not worthy of that kind of honor, and he doesn't even want to trouble Jesus that much. In fact, this centurion recognizes that Jesus just has the power to say the word, and it's going to be done. And Jesus marvels at his remarkable faith. And the servant is healed in that very moment. This is the second encounter. And again, notice Jesus' posture of compassion as it extends even to the unclean and the unsafe and the unliked. That's His default. That's where Jesus starts. That's who Jesus is, and maybe that's our calling as well. As we start to think about how these things apply to us, I am hopeful that there aren't many people that we feel in our lives are untouchable, and yet there probably are some people that we can bring to mind who we do sort of see as unclean or unsafe or as unliked. And yet Jesus still leads with compassion, even to this centurion. I wonder if this is something we need to work on. You'll also notice Jesus doesn't ask for anything in return or first. There's no need for the centurion to recant or confess or to change. Jesus doesn't need him to switch teams or sides or uniforms. Jesus' compassion isn't conditional. It's simply who He is. But let's keep going. Jesus then goes to Peter's house, and we actually recounted Mark's version of this story a couple weeks ago. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Again, we find Jesus reaching out, and this time to the unwell, and makes her well. He, he heals her. And after this, everyone who wasn't well is brought to Jesus for healing. And our author, Matthew, sums up all that's been happening by quoting the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases, which is an amazing summation of not just what Jesus has been doing, but of who Jesus is. Jesus is the person who not only heals, but is willing to take up our infirmities. He doesn't just remove our diseases, He's willing to bear our diseases. And of course, it's not just that He cleanses our sins, it's that He takes them upon Himself and is punished for them. This may be the most shocking picture of Jesus' compassion. He's willing to take our suffering upon Himself so that we won't have to bear it as much. Think about the ramifications of that for us as disciples. 
Remember, disciples are striving to become more like their rabbi. And our rabbi is the kind of person who takes the suffering of others and puts it on himself. This could cause some second thoughts here. Are we the kind of people who are striving to become like that rabbi? This is a whole different level of challenge. It's nice to talk about compassion because compassion's easy. I can sometimes generate a little bit of compassion for someone I see that like, well, they're worse off than me, so I can feel a little bit of compassion. Am I willing to take up their burden? Oh, no. That's way harder. Hey, I heard about a family and they're struggling with this, that, and the other thing, and, and I could do a little, I could pray for them, I could take them a meal, I should do all of those things. Can I enter into that situation and be willing to take some of that upon myself? Oh, no. That's way harder. And yet, it's what we keep finding Jesus doing. This is a whole different level of challenge, and yet this kind of discipleship would change everything. I mean, it's even worth kind of asking the question, have we become less as disciples, let alone less as people who probably should be able to heal simply because of our unwillingness to bear the burdens ourselves, the troubles ourselves, the hurts ourselves? Again, this is such a radical picture for us of what it means to be a disciple, of becoming more like Jesus, that that, that would be our default. The story goes that there was a little girl who was sent on an errand by her mother. She took much too long in coming back, and so mother therefore demanded an explanation when she finally did return home. The little girl explained that on her way, she had met a little friend who was crying because she had broken her doll. Oh, said the mother, then you stopped to help her fix the doll. Oh, no, replied the little girl. I stopped to help her cry. Jesus' posture is one of compassion reaching out and taking up all of those things that make us unwell upon Himself. That's His default. That's where Jesus starts. That's who Jesus is. Could that be our calling as well? What if this is what it means for us to be disciples? Could we be the kind of people who are willing to touch even the untouchable, to love even our enemies, to take up even the unwell? Of course, this kind of all-out extreme sacrificial compassionate discipleship is put into stark contrast as two would-be disciples then come to Jesus and ask to follow but presumably with conditions, provisos, a couple of quid pro quos, and Jesus says, no. The first is a teacher of the law, I will follow you wherever you go, which sounds really good. And yet, based on Jesus' answer, we can kind of infer that He means He will follow Jesus to all of the good places, all of the prestigious places, all of the comfortable places, all of the safe places. In other words, it's conditional, 
discipleship, which apparently isn't actually discipleship at all. I'll follow as long as everything will be all right. But of course, that's not how discipleship works, especially after we've seen Jesus enter into a few of these last stories, especially as we remember that Jesus is heading towards a cross. Discipleship is not always easy. It's not always safe. It's not always comfortable. Our second would-be disciple wants to follow, but first wants to bury his dad, which again, at first blush, seems like a pretty reasonable request. But based on what we know about that culture and how they grieve, the probability is that dad hasn't died yet. Dad's still alive and maybe even well. And so either because of social obligations or hopes of an upcoming inheritance, this person wants to follow, but only when it's convenient, when it's helpful for me, when it, when it works in my schedule, or maybe even when it's financially beneficial. But again, not discipleship. We can't become more like Jesus if we're not willing to follow wherever He leads, whenever He leads, however He leads. Discipleship takes commitment and takes surrender and takes sacrifice. Of course, that's also what we've seen in how Jesus shows His compassion. The only way to become that kind of person and to show that kind of compassion is if you're all in, dying to yourself, if you're 100% committed to following Jesus. But there's good news here too. Because our rabbi is the kind of person who chances leprosy and ostracization as he reaches out to touch even a leper. And Jesus chances disgrace and even death as he interacts with the centurion. And Jesus chances sickness and suffering and discomfort and distress as he takes the hurts of others. And of course, that's what he does for us and to us as well. Not because of anything in us that we have done, but simply because it's who He is. He does it all because of this extreme and amazing posture of compassion. Maybe we could strive for more of that in our lives. Maybe that's who He is making us to be. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we acknowledge we'd like to see Jesus working like this and, and changing things and healing things and, and stepping into hard places and, and, and bringing you into those places and, and restoring people and healing people. Lord, we don't like these stories as much when we recognize that maybe that is our calling as well, that you might be calling even us to lead with that kind of compassion enter into places where there's hurt, where they've lost hope, where they're grieving, where they're unwell, and to bring you, to bring your goodness and your love and your healing, to be there so that we can cry with them, so that we can be there to help. Because the reality is no one should have to carry burdens alone. 
And the good news is that you believe that so much that you sent your son to us, for us, and to show us. It's in his name we pray all of these things. Amen.